Welcome to the Building Through Him podcast. My name is Mary Jo Parrish. I'm the founder of Kingdom Builders, and this episode is titled Womb, Tomb, and Upper Room. And we are so glad that you're here. I just want you to know that you are so deeply loved and you are welcome here. So I always like to start off with some funny stories. I'm a mom of 10, and the Lord saw fit that on the 10th child that he would give us an easy one. So you see Sebastian, he's usually snuggling with someone or just being kind and sweet. And he eats everything. Like he eats like raw peppers, eats them like an apple. And I've had kids where I'm pretty sure they survived on a bite of a chicken finger and a pack of fruit snacks for like three days. And their lack of nutrition causes me great anxiety. He's just easy. Like he just eats anything that we put before him. And he's just so flexible and good. And so anyway, he was eating something like a vegetable. And I, I just told him, I said, Sebastian, you are the best eater. And he looked at me and he touched my cheek and he looked right in my eyes and he said, Mama, you are the bestest eater ever. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to disagree. I probably am the bestest eater ever, but okay. So Sebastian's four now and Joseph is six. That's our number nine and number 10. And Joseph and I were loving on Sebastian, and Joseph said, Mom, you want Bash to stay little forever? And I said, oh, I do want him to stay little forever. And I said, no, actually, I don't. I want him to grow up to be a strong man who leads people to God. And he said, oh, you want him to be a payo And I'm like, I have no idea what you just said. And I'm thinking, all right, the speech therapist really needs to start bringing it on these constantly because I can't even understand them. And I said, Joseph, I don't know what you just said. And he said, you know, a guy who prays and fights for Jesus, a payo wo And I said, a prayer warrior? Yeah, a payo wo And I was like, yes, I want all of my kids to be prayer warriors. Yes, I do. So cute. And just in case you're thinking, oh my gosh, that's so cute. She's the perfect mom. Let me just tell you, I am not the perfect mom. I was mentioning this to my Mosaic small group, this story, because I always like to remind myself of the story every April. And she said, oh, Mary Jo, you have to tell that story. So here I am telling it to you. I drove a 12-passenger van for 14 years, and we carpooled with another family. You also had a lot of kids. And so I picked up 11 kids from school daily in my 12-passenger van. And I was on the phone. This was many years ago. So it was back when people talked on the phone and didn't think anything about it. I'm on my phone with my mom and like talking about some drama happening in our family. And I'm in the late line. No surprise, me forgetting early or whatever. That's just my story. And I'm in the late line about to get the kids. And the car in front of me drives away. And if the car moves in front of you, you just go like, I'm on the phone, so I'm distracted. And so I drove away also. As I'm driving down the road beside the school, it's kind of like a bumpy, hilly road. And I realize the van is very, like, bouncy. And I look in my rearview mirror and I realize there's no kids in there. And I'm like, Mom, I got to go. So I hang up at the phone. I turn around. I go back. And I am, like, my heart is racing. I'm totally embarrassed and, like, horrified. And the teachers are all out there. And my kids come in the van and I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I know mine must have been 80 shades of red. And they were like, mom, we were running to the van 
and we almost got there, and then you drove away without us. It was terrible. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry you were scared or sad. Then one of them says, did you do that because it's April 1st? And I like was like, thank you, sweet Jesus. April Fools. And they were like, oh, mom, man, you really got us. Man, you got us good, mom. You got us good. I didn't tell them for years later that that was not actually an April Fool's joke, that I actually really did forget to pick up 11 children, even though I was there picking them up. So in case you ever feel like, man, I am a pathetic parent. No, you don't have anything on me. Yeah, you don't have anything on me. I forgot 11 kids and actually went there to get them and left without them. So the Lord's still loving us in our mess. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on, all ages will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear him. He has shown might with his arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry he has filled with good things, the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped Israel his servant, remembering his mercy, according to his promise to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in Kingdom Builders, we always talk about our foundation. We have three things which we do. Number one, we pray for a minimum of 10 minutes a day. So no, no matter what's going on in your life, you are always praying for a minimum of 10 minutes a day. Number two, we go to church on Sunday. That's a divine commandment, not a divine suggestion. And number three, we're staying in a state of grace. And that means if we're struggling with any serious sin, we're finding a way to get free of it. The sacrament of reconciliation, a self-help group, whatever you need to do to be free of that so that you can receive all the graces our Lord wants to give you, you do that. And once we have that foundation of praying for 10 minutes a day, going to Sunday church and staying in a state of grace, then we work on building ourselves, building others, and building the church. So today we're talking about three types of faith, womb, tomb, and upper room. I love things that rhyme. So the first one is womb. So we call it Mary's womb faith. So and then the Annunciation, we know that Gabriel appears to Mary and announces that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. And she replies, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And that's considered her fiat. And that's Latin for let it be done. So the word fiat literally means four words in English. Let it be done. Remember that Mary's a 14-year-old girl, if you know, like a 7th or 8th grade girl. She's a little girl still getting snuggles from her mama, St. Anne. So when she has such a powerful answer, fiat, we can just really like honor her for that, you know, because her fiat shows that she had this joyful desire to do God's will, even though she didn't understand all of what that entailed. So she hears God's call and joyfully surrenders to it. She welcomes the Holy Spirit. And then the word made flesh, Jesus, literally becomes flesh within her. This is from Cardinal Ratzinger. He's now Pope Benedict, but before he became Pope, that was his name, Cardinal Ratzinger. Mary welcomes the Holy Spirit into herself, having become pure hearing. She receives the word so totally that it becomes flesh within her. 
she becomes pure hearing. She teaches us how we should respond to God's call in our life. We are to listen to God. We're to become pure hearing. And when we're listening, Jesus comes. He lays things in our hearts. And he desires us to have complete trust and surrender. And that is how womb faith is formed. So when he lays something on our heart, our answer should be, fiat, let it be done. Womb faith forms in us the desire to have God's approval more than the approval of others. So many of you know that my husband and I did foster care for years. This was 15 years ago when we started. And um, that was a womb faith experience for us because we were pregnant with our fifth child at the time. And you would think like our two adopted daughters, which have been such a blessing in our life, would be like the most fruit that comes from it. But God never stops there. Like God keeps on pouring out fruit if we live in womb faith. So about a year and a half ago, we have measurable goals in Kingdom Builders. And one of the measurable goals was to get a mammogram. So I went to have a mammogram done and I was done and I was leaving. And in the waiting room, there was a foster mom who I'd known from 15 years ago. And she stood up and we were talking and she was talking about some of the struggles because she was still doing foster care. And I just had that feeling like I should pray with her. And I could have just left to pray privately for her, but I felt like the Lord was calling me to pray right then and there. And I thought about the people in the waiting room that would be staring at us. And I felt like, oh, it feels a little bit embarrassing. And I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And that's the womb faith, you know? And so I said, hey, would you like to pray? And she was like, I would love to pray. She looks right at these two people. It's a man and a woman. So the woman's probably waiting for a mammogram with her husband and says, come on, we're going to pray. She didn't even know them. And they jumped up. They were immediately obedient, jumped up, grabbed our hands. That's back before coronavirus where people held hands, holding hands and praying together in a mammogram waiting room. And I just start praying over our adopted children, over our foster children, over our biological children, over our social workers, over just the biological families and the brokenness and just start praying and praying. And I just kind of pause. And this man says, the guy who was just sitting there who I don't know and that my friend does not know, he says, we're foster parents too. And the idea that the Lord can bring three foster parents together, three sets of foster parents together in a mammogram waiting room, is just like, how great is our God? And if I would have not had the courage to speak that to her, she would have not had the courage to say, come pray with us. That moment would have been lost. God is looking for cooperative grace. He wants to cooperate with us. And then the beauty that unfolds is so amazing. But we have to be willing to want God's approval more than that of man's. Colossians 3.2 is, think of what is above not what is on earth. And that's what womb faith really is, is that when he lays something in our heart and it's scary and it's new and it's exciting, that we don't think, oh, what will other people think? We think, what will God think? What will God think? So that's Mary's womb faith is so beautiful and she invites us to share in that. And then the next one is Joseph's tomb faith. So many of you might even know Joseph of Arimathea. He is very courageous after Christ dies and he's hanging on that cross. He has the courage to go to Pontius Pilate and request the dead body of Jesus. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus 
and probably multiple other people, remove Jesus' body from the cross, and they clean and wrap his beautiful broken body. And then Joseph of Arimathea offers our Lord his brand new tomb to be laid to rest. In Jewish culture, tombs were given for families. That was for a family. He didn't know Jesus was going to rise from the dead. He didn't. That was Joseph's family tomb. It was brand new. It was for him and all his descendants. He gives it all to the Lord. He gives him that place to rest. He didn't know he was going to rise from the dead. He didn't know that, right? Joseph of Arimathea has tomb faith. He is willing to adjust his life to love our Lord, even when it takes courage and it is not popular. He loves our Lord, even when all seems completely lost. And if you've ever gone through a moment where it's really dark, it can be dark in the tomb. It can be cold and lonely in the tomb. It can be really hard to have faith in the tomb. You can tell God, like, where are you, Lord? Did you leave me? I do not feel your warmth. If you've ever felt that way, where you're like, where are you, Lord? This is one of the strongest Bible verses that has helped me through some really dark times. We know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. It's Romans 8.28. We know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So sometimes I can, he'll remind me of that Bible quote and I'll be like, Lord, you know how much I love you. How in the world are you going to bring good from this? And this is the thing. He does. Every single time. Every single time. There's like, there's no way he's going to bring good for this. He does. Because God is truth. He doesn't lie. Ever. So if he says he's going to bring good, he's going to bring good. So we're going through that difficult time. God is increasing our tomb faith. He's either rooting or pruning. No, like, okay, rooting or pruning. So if you're a gardener, like, congratulations. I do not have that ability. But our last house that we lived in, when we moved in, someone else was a gardener. So I got to benefit from all the fruits of their labor. And they had these beautiful yellow roses. And each year we lived in this house, I would notice that the yellow roses, there were less and less of them and they would be smaller, but they were still so pretty. And one fall, my father-in-law came over and he cut them back so far, all these yellow rose bushes. And I was so mad. And it was before like the internet existed. So it's not like I was going to go get a book on gardening or anything from the library. And I was just irritated. And I was like, why did you do that? And he's like, it's what you have to do with rose bushes. And I was like, there's no way anything needs cut back that far. I was just irritated. And all through the rest of the fall and the winter, they looked terrible. I was like irritated every time I just saw these broken rose bushes. And towards the middle of spring, we saw like a couple of them like, you know, trying to like grow up a little bit. And then all of a sudden they started to grow and grow. And then by the end of the summer, there were more blooms. I swear the yellow was even brighter. They were more fragrant and they were bigger. And I'm like, how is that even possible? I don't know. I was totally wrong. My father-in-law was right. But the whole time it was through that fall and the winter and even most of the spring, I was like, it looks terrible. Like I was so mad about the pruning, but I didn't know what would come. I didn't know. This is from John 15. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit and every one that does, he prunes it so that it bears more fruit. 
He prunes it so that it can bear more fruit. Thing is about tomb faith is sometimes it's painful. But if we can remember in the midst of that pain that God is doing something greater within us, it's like, okay, I can make it through because God's doing something greater. He's pruning me. This is from St. Padre Pio. The life of a Christian is nothing but a perpetual struggle against self. There is no flowering of the soul to the beauty of its perfection except at the price of pain. No beauty of its perfection except at the price of pain. So we trust that his will is making us more strong, more fragrant, and more beautiful. When we're in that tomb, we're reaching for him, the living water. And that reach for him grows our root system to bear fruit, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others. So what's that even mean? So we talked about pruning. Let's talk about rooting. There's this book called The Hidden Life of Trees. It's written by a forester. And I didn't even know that was a vocation, but apparently it is. It's actually a job. He talks in there about when a tree is alone, it's open to all these elements and it cannot easily defend itself. However, when a tree's in a forest, the root systems actually connect to one another. And so when one tree is weak or sick, the other trees pump in their nutrients to help it recover. They protect each other from insects. They will like um, put out pheromones to protect each other from the insects or from the elements. They stand together against the wind and the storm. The trees are stronger together. Guess what? We too are stronger together. This is from St. Maximilian Kolbe. Let us remember that love lives through sacrifice and is nourished by giving. Without sacrifice, there is no love. So even thinking about if you've ever gone on a hike, occasionally my family and I will go hiking, those root systems, like they actually help us get up and down ravines. The act of these trees reaching for water or reaching to support other trees creates stepping stones for others on their journey. And even after the tree is dead, the root system remains behind to continue assisting others. That tree instinctively knows it has to reach towards the water. It knows the water brings life. And we know the same thing, that in order to grow, we too must reach for the living water. We must be reaching for Jesus. This is from St. Teresa of Avila. All things must come to the soul from its roots, from where it is planted. The tree that is beside the running water is fresher and gives more fruit. And that's what the Lord wants for us. He wants us to be rooted and to be pruned so that we can grow our roots strong and that we can be more fragrant and more beautiful and give off more fruit. And that is tomb faith. Now, the last one is upper room faith. So let's think about the apostles. We know that they were with Jesus for three years, right? They witnessed all his miracles. They saw him feed the 5,000 with a few fish and loaves. They saw him cure people of all these illnesses. They saw him remove demons. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Okay, they saw it all. And they had to have felt his love. They heard his words. They felt his love. These were Jesus' best friends. Yet, when Jesus was going through his darkest times, where were they? 
They abandoned him. Almost all abandoned him. They did not have the tomb faith. When it was no longer popular, they weren't there. They were gone. They did not have the tomb faith. So after his death, you know, they're hiding and they're probably feeling super guilty and ashamed. But mainly, they're just terrified that they're next. They are hiding behind locked doors. In the midst of their feeling terrible and guilty and ashamed and fear, like so much fear, they're hiding. Jesus appears to them. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands on his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Jesus comes back, not to yell at them or to punish them. He treats them with such deep mercy and compassion. He forgives them. And in that moment of them feeling like they are not worthy of any of those things, like he shows them all that mercy and compassion. And that's the exact same moment where the sacrament of reconciliation receives its, its commissioning. That's not coincidence, right? That's not a coincidence. I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of moments in my life where I have really messed up. And in some of those moments where I know I deserve the consequence, I have been shown mercy and compassion. And those are deeply moving. I had one of those moments not very long ago. I record these podcasts at Redeemer Radio through Spoke Street, and I was running late one day because I had pressed the snooze too many times, and the Holy Spirit said, like, if you don't get up now, you're not going to have time to pack your lunch. It was a Friday during Lent, and so when I got to Redeemer Radio, I told the Lord, I know I have all these recordings to do today, and I'm not going to be able to stop and go leave to go get something for lunch. So if you want me to eat, Lord, you're going to have to bring me food. Otherwise, I'll just know that you want me to fast. And that's okay too, whatever you want. And I knew, like, I'm the one who didn't get up. I'm the one that didn't pack a lunch. That's on me. So I was fine with the fasting until it came to be about 11.30. And I start smelling this amazing Mexican smell of the most delicious food I think that's ever been made. And my stomach is just growling. And I'm like, whew, I'm trying to drink my cinnamon tea and connect my suffering to the cross. And it's really hard. And I'm like, you didn't bring me food. So I know that you will me to fast. And so I know you're going to do great things with this fast. Um, But it's really hard. And so I'm in between recordings and I get a knock on the door. And one of the ladies said, hey, we're stuffing envelopes. And we ordered in Mexican food, bean burritos. And we accidentally ordered an extra one. You're welcome to it if you want it. And I said, oh, thank you so much. That's really kind. And she left. And I decided I was not going to eat that food. Because I didn't feel worthy of it. Um, 
I would have accepted like a stale pack of crackers, but I did not feel like I should take a bean burrito. And I felt like the Lord was saying, I brought you food. Why would you not accept my gifts? And I'm like, because I'm not worthy to accept them. And he said, doesn't matter. I want you to accept them. So I had to renounce the spirit of unworthiness and forgive myself for not waking up to the alarm on time. And I accepted the food that was offered to me. And I cried in my bean burrito and guacamole while eating it because I just felt so thankful that the Lord would, and so also so unworthy that the Lord would go to such extremes to bring me not just food, but really good food. Because that's just who our Lord is. St. Ignatius of Loyola says, God will not be outdone in generosity. And he just won't. He is a parent that loves us. My gosh, he loves us. One Christmas many years ago, coming from the perspective of a parent, we got our son Logan. He was in middle school at the time, an iPod. And it was before people, kids had like phones. So um, iPod was like the big thing. And and I did ask Logan if I could tell the story. And he said I could. My husband and I, you know, we have 10 kids. So money's always been a little bit tight. And trying to afford that for him was a stretch for us. And Logan is very aware. He's the oldest of the 10. So he's very aware of like financial stuff going on in our home. And my husband and I were so excited for him to open this iPod for Christmas that we had saved for to get him. And we just learned, we talked about it so many different times. And so it comes time to Christmas morning and I'm half asleep, you know, drinking my coffee and watching him. And he opens up that iPod, looks down at it like it's poison drops it on the ground and runs away up into his room. And my husband and I are like looking at each other like, what just happened? And we go talk to him and he's like, I can't accept that. I just can't accept it. I know, I know how much that costs. We can't afford that. And I was like, Logan, we saved so that you could have this. We want you to have it. Like it is our joy that you would have it. And he said, he finally accepted it. But coming from a parent, like, the Lord wants our joy. He wants our delight. He wants to love us sometimes in amazing and beautiful ways. But we have to accept the gifts he wants to give us. And sometimes that means living out the gifts he wants to give us. Has he given you a gift that you're not living out? Like He wants that lived out. He wants you to accept it. And just his name to be glorified through you that you did accept it. This quote is from St. Catherine of Siena. Now, how can we keep from loving our gentle Savior when we see how much we have been loved by him? So the upper room faith is accepting the generosity that the Lord pours forth in our life. Not because we deserve it. Nope but because we are his beloved son or daughter. He is trying to show his love, and he just desires that we accept it. And the Lord desires that we just claim that abundance and the gifts of the Holy Spirit through our upper room faith, right? He desires us to claim it. But it doesn't just stop there, because accepting those gifts gives fullness to our womb faith and our tomb faith. Well, you're like, what does that even mean, Mary Jo? Think about it. So remember, the apostles, they abandoned him, right? 
They abandoned him. They did not have tomb faith. They did not. Until when they were in the upper room, they accepted the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They said yes, even though they knew they didn't deserve them. They said, yes, we accept. And after accepting those gifts, they were changed. They were changed. There was no need for them to remain hidden because their fear was gone. They heard that call to leave the upper room and to spread the gospel. And in that moment of them hearing the call, when they were pure listening, they were hearing that call, they embraced their womb faith. They said, fiat, let it be done. And they left that upper room. And they went out to preach the gospel and endured intense suffering and ultimately martyrdom for the sake of Jesus' name. That's how amazing their tomb faith was. And that tomb faith that they had way back then created a deep and vast root system. And they didn't complain about it, you know? They didn't complain about it. They did the opposite, in fact. So the Sanhedrin are like beating them, telling them to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And this was their response. This is Acts 5, 41 and 42. They left the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. And all day long, both at the temple and in their homes, they did not stop teaching and proclaiming the Messiah, Jesus. They rejoiced that they had been worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. Wow, that is tomb faith. And their tomb faith left us a root system and stepping stones that still guides us on our journey today, 2,000 years later. We're called to have all three types of faith in our life, right? The womb faith, the tomb faith, and the upper room faith. And God's at work in all of them. He's at work in all of them. And we never just stay in one area. We don't just stay in the tomb the whole time, right? We go back and forth. I think sometimes we're in the midst of both at the same time. When I was talking to one of my friends about this teaching, she said, you know, Mary Jo, all three of those things are hidden. The womb is hidden. The tomb is hidden. The apostles were actually hiding in the upper room. They were hidden. And so often the things that we do in our life are hidden. And it can feel like no one pays attention to those. No one knows all the things that we do to honor Jesus, all the little things that we do to honor him or to live a good and holy life. But do you know who knows? God knows. God sees everything that you do that's hidden. He sees it all. None of what you do is missed by him. He sees all the beauty that you handle in all the details. St. Teresa of Avila, know that even when you are in the kitchen, our Lord moves amidst the pots and the pans. Know that even when you are in the kitchen, Our Lord moves amidst the pots and the pans. Lord, let us be pure hearing so that we can embrace the word and answer with our fiat. Lord, give us strength to endure the pain of pruning and growing roots. Give us comfort in knowing that our sacrifice will be honored for years to come. And Lord, right now, 
We just ask you to pour out every gift that you desire to give us. Even though we may feel unworthy, we accept every goodness you want to pour down upon us. The gifts that maybe have been dormant, we accept that we want them to be used right here and now in our life. This phrase is taken from the Surrender Novena. It was written by the servant of God, Don Rutolo. He is the spiritual director of St. Padre Pio. If you've never heard of the Surrender Novena, I strongly encourage you just to Google it. It's very beautiful, very powerful. Oh Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. Oh Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. Oh Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.